0: major bloom is one of the first vertically integrated cannabis establishments in massachusetts with a background in sales marketing and business ulysses youngblood has committed to creating an impact-driven business in his community he discusses with us how businesses should lead with diversity at the c-suite He talks about creating a funding path through sweat equity and creativity and overcoming the barriers of building a business from the ground up as a person of color. Let's get into the green room. Hello, Um, you are joining us. We are talking to Ulysses Youngblood from Major Bloom in Massachusetts. Hi, how are you doing?
1: doing well how are you Ron Jeannie we're
0: very good I got Sheldon here with me ooh, ooh. hello
1: hello everyone so dropping bars
0: yeah dropping <laughs> bars you know having fun um, and talking about the cannabis industry um I love what you're doing there I we haven't talked to many dispensaries or retailers so I like that we have you on at this point because we've we've talked a lot about like the history of cannabis legalization activism all this kind of stuff. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, um, the dispensaries are going to be, you know, like a central focus point for consumer consumer education um, and like just normalization of the, the the industry. So I I know you kind of built your business from the ground up. I'd love to kind of start with how you got started in the cannabis industry, how you were introduced to it, and we'll go from
1: there. Yeah that sounds great and happy to be here with you guys no question um i will say that we uh as we kind of talked about before we we do have a manufacturer's license so i, I like to call our place uh, an establishment okay as opposed to a dispensary because it's just not a dispensary yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you hear dispensary you think about you think about retail yeah but yeah just having those that last leg of business for delivery and then you know, moving up the vertical chain to to manufacturing, it means a lot to be vertically integrated as a as an equity business. Mm-hmm. Um, So going on, it's 420 was this week. Yes, and I I did a chat uh, to to some fe- folks in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I basically told them that like I don't want to curse, but I was like f the industry, honestly, <laughs> like because it's 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 crazy that the stuff that we have to deal with. It's obviously a um, fun for sure. But for me, I like to say that I'm a kid of the culture because that's what it all started with. You know, I had Older cousins. I got three older sisters. They all smoke weed. So like before even thinking about the industry, if you will, or like legalization, it was like friends and family, like off rip, you know, 13, 14 year old, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, just just living. So, um, you know, at this point, it's kind of a kind of like a dream because, you know, my mom, my parents were worried about me like early <laughs> as a teenager, like finding weed around the house. And I love them because they always gave it back and never flushed it on the toilet, never called the cops. But, um, you know, back then they probably them themselves, even being adults, didn't even conceive legalization, you know, 15 years ago. Right. So I think that's part of the motivation, you know, the family and friends and the culture before before the industry, for sure.
0: How'd you like really get involved in the business side? Of course. I mean, you do every, you know, everyone is introduced recreationally at some point, whether they do it or not, you know, that's their decision. But like, you know, when you wanted to make it a career, like why was that a thing for you?
1: That's a great question. I think part of, um, part of it is not seeing myself like in corporate cannabis, Mm. Um, because I say in 0- 06, I had ended up getting kicked out of college for, for cannabis related offenses. And then two years later in 08, they decriminalized and, you know, my experience getting kicked out of school and getting arrested a bunch of times in the city that I live in now, it was, uh, it was kind of shitty. And like my mom always was like, you know, just go to straight and path, finish school, which I ended up doing, even yeah. though I got kicked out, uh, you know, finish school and, Towards the end of my college career, I ended up taking a, a business course that I really, really loved and enjoyed. And that uh, uh, kept me on the trajectory to, to, to go to business school. And once um, I got through my undergraduate and, and graduate degree, cannabis was coming becoming more legal. So 08, I graduated in 2012. So 08 becomes decriminalized in Massachusetts. Two years uh, after I got in trouble for it, then 2010 when I finished my undergraduate career became medically legal, mm-hmm. and uh, then I'm from Connecticut so I, I moved back home to finish school, then I moved back here to go to graduate school in Boston and Northeastern, and um, I started there in 2000, 2012, and I, and I ended up working for a, uh, a pharmacy. And I was trying, it was a small family owned pharmacy and I tried talking the owner into selling cannabis (laughs) and he was like, dude, I'm a pharmacist. What are you talking about? And I like literally like that's, that was my whole like mindset like work for a pharmacy because it's medical Mm -hmm. and like I'll sell them on like growing cannabis and it didn't work out. So uh, I ended up uh, becoming a a medical patient, you know, watching the regulations. I actually ended up going to, um, to, to grad school for regulatory affairs, okay. which is more, more, uh, you know, drug regulation, but it, 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 didn't hit home for me. So then I decided to go to the route of studying business a little bit more. And by the time I finished in 16, that's when cannabis became legalized, uh, for rec uses and all through undergraduate school or in graduate school, I was basically, um, uh, in sales and marketing. And, you know, I I had success at it and I realized that there were some inherent issues in corporate America for people like me. (laughs) So by the time I got to finish a business school and legal, we became legal, I'm like, you know what, I'm doing this for myself. Like I tried to reach out to a lot of people to get in the industry and I'm like, I got to figure this out myself. So that's really what it was. is just watching, watching while gaining experience in the corporate world, but also furthering my education and like just jumping into it.
0: I think your background's cool because you have gotten in trouble for this particular thing. I think it sheds a little bit of light on like the realities of what Mm -hmm. people are going through. But at least you didn't get stuck in prison or jail. Um, But like, how have you how has that informed how you're navigating the business like now?
1: yeah 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 for the most part I, I like to think that like everything happens for a reason so as many as times and countless nights and days that i've rode around with even if it was just a, a little bit of weed and never got caught i got my apartment rated twice with like more than a couple ounces were in the city that i'm at now mm-hmm. and like didn't get in trouble for it and i never really understood it until legalization started happening i started connecting the dots about my prior life and like i just felt like i'm like i'm here for a reason you know what i mean so like even just getting into trouble a little bit it at least opened my eyes up to realize that there are disparities because i never thought about that as a kid like we were just doing what we did you know what i mean yeah but like studying the history it's daunting so i think you know being able to uh you know, understand the, the the past harms of it, and then use that as motivation is what 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 we need to do because it's just not it's not right on the legal side now. And we look at licensing, but just obviously for the past you know war on drugs, the poor prohibition, mm-hmm. and how it's impacted communities that look like me.
2: Good. So tell us and the viewers just a little bit more about your company, what you do, what makes you guys special. I um, really want this to be an opportunity for you to to let people know what you're doing so they can invest in what you do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Major Bloom, we're in the state's uh, equity program and the state's economic empowerment program. And really Massachusetts was one of the first states, like statewide to roll out an equity program. Like I I know California has it in certain uh, counties, right? Like LA County might be different than Oakland County, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But, um, you know, with Massachusetts being the first, we certainly commend them for their efforts. It's just that it's not as easy or it's not as, um, I don't know, fruitful as, as one might think. It's mm-hmm. still sh- massive disparities that exist, seeing that, um, you know, there's just a lot of corporate cannabis, whether it be, you know, white owned businesses, whether it be uh, uh, multi-state operators in the space. Mm-hmm. So how we are much different is very community driven. Uh, as I mentioned to you guys before, like yep. I, you know, uh, this is my second home, the city that we're in right now, Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, so, you know, being connected in a way that is much different than the uh, than the uh, multi-state operators are in this space. Right. You know, that, that's what makes it a lot different for us. Uh, so one being community driven, but then also the fact that we're a vertically integrated outfit. I think um, as it relates to the equity program and the initiatives that they put forward for our- other equity businesses. They made uh, the delivery license here in Massachusetts exclusive to economic empowerment and social equity businesses. And it's not, uh, it's a small win for sure, but economically speaking and uh, financially, is it financially feasible? Uh, it's its very tough to say that it's you can scale and, and be successful and which is why the state actually made some revisions which came out and ended up getting a bunch of trade associations and lobbying groups to sue the state over the provisions, which we can talk more about. Yeah. But basically, uh, you know, I just believe personally that vertical integration is best for, for equity businesses. There's not enough uh, people of color who are growing cannabis. You know, there's not enough people who are processing, but when we tend to think about equity and cannabis, we think about, oh, you know, license is set aside, but it's typically the last leg of business like delivery or like retail. Mm -hmm. And we can't, we can't uh, be satisfied with that. We just, we, we need vertical integration. So that's, that's what makes us different community driven and, and, and and vertical integration for equity business.
0: You keep mentioning equity business. So for just for, for us to all be on the same page, what do you mean by equity business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the state of Massachusetts, they came out with basically equity criterias um, and the buckets really fall into uh, reversing the harms on prohibition. Right. So if you've been uh, arrested for cannabis, if a family member has been arrested, Mm -hmm. if you grew up in a certain neighborhood, if you have experience working with certain uh, demographics, if you have the right business plan. So all these different criteria probably like, I don't know, 10 or maybe 12 different criteria so sure. our me and my business partner she's a black lawyer in boston we fit into the criteria for the economic empowerment which is a little different than social equity uh the social equity uh portion of the business here in massachusetts is for uh people who have directly been arrested and uh or family members have directly been arrested and you then they have basically have additional training so like uh there's rolling cohorts Or the program that we're in, it was only open for like a two week period and we had to get it in and and things like that. But we do have both expedited licensing and exclusive licensing for delivery only.
0: So it's basically to like kind of empower the area that you're in to create more opportunities. Yeah.
1: Reverse the the harms of prohibition.
0: Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So um, I've seen you all over the major bloom site and and on LinkedIn, I've seen you kind of refer to the company as impact driven. So I I guess I wanted to explore a little bit more what you mean by impact driven and what you guys do to like driving impact. I know you have a lot of personal investment into like kind of developing the business and and creating social awareness. So um, I would just love to like kind of hear a little bit more about how you guys do that as a as a business.
1: It's so crazy that you asked me that question because I'm literally working on our positive impact and diversity plan for our license (laughs) renewal. And I've been putting it off for so long because, (laughs) you know, part of it is living it every day, Mm. right? And I think that's the difference between also us and other companies is that what we see in the market, a lot of people just write checks and they do things just for, uh, you know, for, um, uh, photo opting, if you will where it's been a crazy ride for us throughout us getting our license, but then to actually like take note of everything that we've done around the community. And that's really the biggest thing that's impact driven. Uh, I can tell you countless amount of uh, conversations that I have with social equity businesses and people who want to get their businesses off the ground, you know providing resources for those businesses. Uh, I think it starts with, honestly, being in the community that we're in, which is very unique. Um, A lot of places they look to find, uh, you know, your bougie areas to put up retailers. We're like, we're in a, we're in a low income, income community. You know, we're in a building that's been vacant for 20 years. Mm. So a lot of what we're doing is bringing economic development to a low income community, but then also being able to double back and have products for those people. I have alcoholics, I have a, a drug store, uh, um, and a, a liquor store right next to me. I see the same people every day buying nips. And they're like, dude, are you going to have product for us? We don't want to spend $20 on a, right. on, a, on a free roll. You know, can you help us up with a, a preferred menu or neighborhood menu? So these are all things that are ever changing to make us more sticky and more impact with the community. But I do, I do feel that it starts with being deep rooted in a community that's been harmed by prohibition, which is, which is where we are, mm-hmm. rather than like finding some dope spot on main street, downtown, you know what I mean? Like we're, right. we're in a hood. dude. I, I was just with my homeboy who's got arrested, you know, two, uh, two or three times like right up the block and he's he's real real good dude he owns a sneaker shop right down the street Mm -hmm. and he's like bro i've never i've been smoking weed for 15 15 years i've never stepped foot in a dispensary but i got arrested right in front of where this multi-state operator is right this is these guys that come out of state and they're here doing the same thing and profiting off of it but he's like bro you're gonna be the first dispensary that i stepped foot in you know what I'm saying? So like, it's those conversations that make it quantifiable yeah. to put on paper and be like, state, hey, we're making an impact. But those are real connections that we're making that I know a lot of people don't. And they will say, hey, here's twenty thousand dollars to this nonprofit that probably does, that probably doesn't even have people on their board who have been impacted by prohibition. Right. But meanwhile, it's natural for us to have these conversations and live in it because that's that's basically how how you overcome it is is, is living in it. So, um, yeah, I
0: I really like how dynamic you are with like developing the business. You're thinking about all these different things, but how do you like, how do you address those challenges? Because cost is a factor and taxes are a factor. And like, you know, I don't know how much the, you know, I don't know how much the regulations in Massachusetts are going to really help you with that. So like, how do you guys, how do you guys come up with a plan to create opportunities for, like local people to get what they need or like a special menu? Like what what kind of planning goes into that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a quantitative market research for sure. Uh, You know, I drafted up a, uh, my, as I told you before, my background has been in sales and I spend quite a bit of time cold calling and going door to door, you know, working in retail shops, interrupting people's day just to get certain appointments with them, Mm. you know. um, But the reason I bring that up is because I take that same mindset when planning out how we are going to be more sticky with the community or even grow as we grow as a business. And uh, one of the biggest things that once we hang up here, I got to, Finish drafting up for the state, is that I believe it's best for us to canvass a neighborhood that's been impacted and ask how we can help. Mm. But we don't only do that in a capacity of, um, of, of uh, well, I shouldn't say only. It doesn't start with, hey, we're the cannabis company. Come by, weed from us. It starts with, we're the cannabis company. What can we do to be a good neighbor, You know what I mean? What resources can we provide? Now we do have, um, I don't want, uh, maybe like blinders and we want to stare people in certain directions, but we can't, because it can't do everything, but we basically have, um, a pipeline that we are creating and working with other companies to help bring people from impacted communities Mm -hmm. to provide jobs in, uh, in the industry. Um, because it's just not, uh, it's not, it's kind of crazy, but like I, I visited so many facilities out here and like, to be blunt, like they don't have, there's not a lot of Black and brown people in these spaces. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I can tell you a handful of people, I probably crossed like maybe 300, 400. Uh, people and all these and all these growth facilities and processing facilities I've seen. Mm-hmm. Literally, I went to one yesterday. I saw about 60 people and I saw one. I saw one black person who was recently hired. <laughs> right. right. So like right
0: before you I, got yeah. there. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I kid you not.
1: And that was my mindset. I was like, yo, did you guys hire her? Because I'm, Just, uh, because I was showing?" And it was so and it was it was so like we planned this like a month and a half in advance. Uh-huh. And she's been there less time than that. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? So I swear to God, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, like. So I, I, th- I think it's a, I th- but I, it's a problem, and I've heard it directly from, you know, I'm not going to say who, but some of these big multi-state operators, they say well, we have trouble hiring from these, from these, uh, from these neighborhoods, from these communities, and I have my, I have my thoughts on why they have trouble, and I'll be brief with it. Is because I was going to
0: ask you, why do you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, but when you surround yourself with people who are not from these communities, or your leadership, then you're going to have an issue with it. You yeah. can't say that. I wanna be diverse, but your C-suite and your leadership and your management they all act and look the same, yeah, right? right? Are you going to pat everybody on the back and say, go hire more color, people of color? Like, no, you your leadership needs to be like that. Right. So I think that's the number one issue. Um, but then it's also effort too. Like I've heard it from numerous companies how they struggle with it. But meanwhile, you know, and maybe it's because who we are, you know, my my, uh, my uh, partner also being of African descent, but like, you know, we just attract those type that, that type of talent. Like we're not going to have any problem with, you know, hi- hiring, you know, black and brown people and women, and things like that. Right. So it's just, Uh, one of those things, but but back to the impact, I think um, being able to be a good partner, uh, not only to the community, but to the companies that have issues with that, that's a big focus of mine. Because if we can get more people from these communities that have been impacted, then we can basically create a pipeline, not only for our business, but for other businesses that we work with. Yeah, and that's really yeah. the goal of uh, what I'm drafting up for the state and uh, needed to submit by by Monday. <laughs> so,
0: so you're going to get to work right after this. Um, yeah. So I want to go back to what you were talking about of like having leadership of color, because mm-hmm. that's a big thing. And, and this is this is not just isolated the cannabis industry i i've worked in tech for a really long time it happens in the tech industry it happens right. in every industry to be yeah. frank right blunt and honest um but i you know one of the things i think in the cannabis industry that might be a challenge and you tell me like what you think is like how do you get people from the community that you're in now right like you're in a, a low income community that's kind of maybe growing at this point how do you get them to change their views so that they feel like safe and comfortable working in an environment and becoming part of the diverse, like answer? Mm. Because I think, Mm. I think there is a little bit of a stigma there too, right?
1: Well, it's almost taboo. It's hard for people to believe that this is really going on. (laughs) And it's one of those, seriously, it's one of those moments where, you know, I believe if things don't shape up in the cannabis industry, we can look at like, 20 years from now and be like, what the hell is going on? Mm. Because some of the data is just very discouraging. You know what I mean? Like when you know, like literally the kid that sells sneakers down the street, the reason he hasn't stepped foot in a dispensary is because he got in trouble for it. And he feels some kind of way that hurts. Yeah, It hurts a lot. And I think that's what's the problem. Our communities hurt. And I I was, we were just hanging on 420 and we had this conversation, you know, 50 minute drive from Springfield to Worcester and and that's i felt his pain you know what i mean so i think that's part of it is that we need we need healing it goes beyond jobs it goes beyond entrepreneurship you know and um i think it goes beyond just the government doing their part it it, it takes a lot of entities to help do this uh, i think one of the big things that the question is is that like when you report when you're repairing a community that's impacted by prohibition is it the job of the private entities right or is it the job of the government right Local government, the state government—it's collective. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be more of a collective effort from everybody to help reverse those harms, as opposed to just looking at companies and saying, "Hey, hire more diverse people." Because I get it. I I know it. I know it. I've, I've I've been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's uh, uh that's what it takes. It's just a collective effort. Are
0: mm-hmm. you gonna see something?
2: It's a very layered conversation. Yeah. I I personally believe that it's the government's responsibility to provide people with the educational resources that they were not given. Mm -hmm. It is the community's responsibility to share the wealth of knowledge and resources like, Oh, we have job openings we're going to hire from within our community. And then it's the general public's job to become curious and to have these open conversations like what we're having now so that it's not so taboo. Right.
0: And create a safety space. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that I think that's one huge thing is like, you know, people don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and rightfully so.
2: I didn't feel safe walking into a dispensary the first time. Uh, and what was crazy is I saw my baby cousin working in the first dispensary that I ever walked into. And my first thought was like, Why why are they here? One, why is he here? And two, <laughs> like, the police are gonna come any moment. And it's gonna be me, him, and one other guy they pull out, and the rest was all like younger white college kids and I'm like they'll be fine they'll be fine we won't though
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I think this is I think this is a big problem that people know it exists they don't talk about it enough and then I Mm. think also I don't know and this is my ignorance so you guys you guys kind of weigh in here but culturally speaking the representation of cannabis in different cultures, different neighborhoods, you know, isn't always the best portrayal. And so, you know, I, a lot of people we talk to because we're talking to the cannabis industry, we talk a lot, we talk to a lot of people who talk about cannabis and wellness, um, and, and really highlight that part of it. And, (laughs) and then you see a lot of people that talk about cannabis in, in just different, different narratives. So like, what is the right way to talk about it and without, Sounding like you don't know what you're saying,
2: <laughs> like okay. just. Well, he's. I'll let I, you go.
1: I love Sheldon's point, and he's right. I think it is starts with the government because the reason why we're in a point of taboo or their stigma is because how the government treated, the federal government treated cannabis, it, and this is crazy because like you know my, my mom's a nurse and she still like doesn't believe in or at least understand the uh, the benefits of of. Uh, Of cannabis Mm. as a a nurse like we have a cannabinoid system like they don't teach that in medical school but they should right Right. so like I look at our like my parents generations was 55 and up they were born in 1965 when segregation was still illegal you basically have that whole era of them being lied to every night that cannabis is bad look at these black kids getting arrested for it and you got these reports coming out by the federal government saying that there's no Medicinal uh, value to it right, right? Mm-hmm. so i think it's very easy for people to grab on now in 2021 and say oh there's wellness with it but they're also forgetting about like you know what i mean the like,
0: years and years of hammering
1: exactly yeah and that's why i don't like medical systems across america because it's covering up the past harms of prohibition um, but I, I, I agree with Sheldon 100 percent. The government like lied to a complete generation of people mm-hmm. and it's their right to, to, to rally everybody else together or at least lead in that direction and say, hey, we're recognizing the wrongs that we did and we want to double back and fix those wrongs, basically.
0: How do you how do you like propose that or what are your thoughts? I guess I mean, you could propose too, but how do you propose like, you know, people become more in the leadership role because I think I agree with you I think to mm-hmm. diverse the whole the idea of diversity has to start with the top it can't be mm-hmm. on the bottom of the totem and pull. like it has to be a leadership role um mm-hmm. and I mean I think one of it is one of one of the ways is obviously collaboration among among diverse leaders but mm-hmm. um where do you where do you see that playing a role I mean it sounds like you're taking a pretty proactive role in doing that but how how can other people come to play? Because I, I think yeah. that's important, right? You can't be the only one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you mean that from the perspective of like inside other organizations? Or? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean inside other organizations, other entrepreneurs, like what are the opportunities? How did you, how did you kind of see the opportunity and take it?
1: Creating it, I guess. Oh, but I, I think uh it's I asked the same question to a friend of mine who's a weed scientist, kid from Memphis, really good dude. And he works for a, a, a pretty good brand out here. And, uh, you know, I asked him, he's been with the company for like four or five years. I'm like, how are how are they treating you, man? For yeah. you to stay, you know, for a, for a company like this. And he had, a, and I asked him a similar question too, about like, how do you find, you know, diverse uh, candidates for position? And he had a really good answer because he's in academia too. And he said, it probably starts with like, uh, you know, straight out of college. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, you know, basically those who, are interested in the cannabis industry and getting education around it. Uh and then also like putting um putting back into like diverse thinking and diversifying things, it probably is good to start with a pool of like young, young people and then like bring them up as opposed to starting an industry where there's like, I don't know, middle-aged white dudes who just had money from being a CPA or an accountant or a real estate dude. Right. You just have the funds to start up, you know what I mean, a business, if you will. So there's just some gaps. There's just some gaps. And I I wish I had all the answers, but I I don't. (laughs) Why don't you have the answers? (laughs) Well, I
0: mean, I think that that's, again, another gap that we've talked about in in previous shows is like the, the, the money gap, like, where's the Mm -hmm. money? Like, how are we getting the money to, to create opportunities for other people? And Mm -hmm. why is it so challenging to get that, that money? And like, Mm -hmm. how, how, like, what is the process? I mean, I know there's grants and things like that, but it's still, even with that, I feel like there's a lot of challenges.
1: Grants. That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What is, what are the, what are the big, what have been the big challenges in like kind of starting up your business?
1: Yeah. So often I think about this, uh, just the limiting beliefs, honestly, like getting over Mm -hmm. out of your own thoughts um I forgot who I was talking to the other day a friend of mine and like there's always literally every day something comes up where like it's not on my calendar and I just have to do it like get yeah. it done you know what right. I mean so like um the sooner you can get over like a hiccup or a failure or a weak point the better it is because if you start to harp on that and you're going to get in your, ma- you're your mind. And it got to a point where like, I was so deep into it. I was like, there's no way that I can even quit at this point. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I've raised $1.2 million. I have to pay people back. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? Like I put my own funds in, like I've right. maxed out my credit cards. So like once you get to uh, even, if, even beyond financial, it's like, like the amount of time that I spend away from, even though I'm right down the street from my house, but like away from my family, like I got home, and I was home for 10 minutes and I was like, fuck, I have to be back here. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's not you guys. You get what I'm saying? It's a lot to balance. So like, heavily invested in, and, and um, uh, sorry, are you going to say something, Michelle? Oh, no, I said, it's a lot to balance. That's it. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. and, I, and I think you, you had mentioned to me that you you guys built, I mean, you didn't get funding, right? Like you built it through fam- friends and family, like sweat equity. Like you kind of you really, you know, worked your way into this. I don't know that a lot of people have the confidence to do what you've done. And it's, I mean, that I think that that's just a huge barrier to entry for just the cannabis industry, but any industry of like rebuilding this social problem of like, you know, just being confident, <laughs> like just having the confidence to build something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's more, it's more uh, naivete, I would think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know? Well, that, not knowing, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so.
2: That in combination with some technical skills, because it, in, in the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about creating and writing out business plans and projections and being able to present your ideas in a way that made sense to others. Right. right. And did that? Did you already kind of have that skill innately or did a lot of that come from your educational background?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I actually I grew up in a uh, work in a small family business where I was very fortunate around the same time when I got introduced to cannabis at like a 13, 14 year old. My dad had started a seasonal business where we did power washing. So I clean hood vents and houses as, as, a, as a teenager in my summers, you know what I mean? And that's, that probably like saved my life As the way I look at it is because it showed me a lot of discipline um, and it gave me something to do as a yeah. teenager and make money for my family. And I, I recognize that, um, especially when I went on to my corporate career and really ran into some issues and, and that like, also triggered me to get into becoming like further my entrepreneurial, um, you know, ventures, just having that background of like working a family business. So I think a lot of the technical skills, especially from a, like a people person perspective and like sales and operations came from, you know, me literally working since I was 14 years old. And then also uh, getting corporate sales and leadership experience. Cause I think next to uh, being an entrepreneur, the, the the best way to be prepared for to be an entrepreneur is being in sales. I believe that I could be biased. You know, I tell my students now I, I teach I teach uh, entrepreneurship and I, t- I tell them that because I teach a sales course and I uh, I tell them why the course is important because I personally never took a sales course until, until uh, I was in graduate school. But there's just a lot of things that like I learned in my corporate experience that um, should be taught in school. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, just being a salesperson helped me, uh, you know, have the confidence to, to basically be in this position to raise money for the for the business
0: i think it's i think it's exposure to a lot of rejection to be honest yeah. like I, <laughs> sales like is that's what sales right. is right like you have to find creative ways to get someone to say yes and yeah. you know if you have that kind of resiliency if you have that thick skin like you can basically do anything from there
1: that's so crazy. My that's, And when my sons don't listen to me, I'm okay with it. Cause I tell them, I told my wife and like other people that like, they're going to hear no so much in their life yeah. that they might as well figure out what the qu- consequences is when they don't listen to dad. When they do. Yeah. Like other people. Right. But usually I laugh. I'm like, you're right. You're right. Do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's,
0: let's see what happens now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, um, to- to- one of the things you were mentioning was, you know, just about building a business. Um it was oh my goodness, I have to go back and remember. Let me yeah. d- I have to dig in my brain. We get we go throughout um all these different topics. We going to have to cut this part out too. I have to remember Sorry. what it was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um it was not about equity. What was it about?
2: Favorite food recipe.
0: What is your favorite food recipe? <laughs> No no. no, 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 that wasn't it. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. I remember now. Um, so yeah, I did it. No. <laughs> um, you were talking about vertically integrating your business. And so, I mean, that's a lot of people have been talking to us about, you know, um, having that kind of uh, business model. Are you guys planning to do a grow? Like what, what kind of, what kind, how vertical are you and how many different facets of the business are you guys going to enter into?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we got permitted for it grow and we ended up getting a license on that property, but it was about 50 minutes away from where we are. And then there were some real estate issues. Mm. So we had to pull back out our resources on there and really focus on this one. Um, So there is some point in the future, but really it comes down to having the right team. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the right team to execute on that where uh, us in this small fusion kitchen that we have, product manufacturing, uh, big inventory room, retail and delivery. Like those are all things that I have experience in um, outside of cannabis and then like inside of cannabis. So I think, um, you know, being able to, you know, think logically, but also have passion around something where like, if we had to grow, I wouldn't know what to do. Right, right. Well, you gotta, yeah,
0: you've gotta have a
2: grower with you.
1: Basically, and I don't have grower money right now. Those yeah. guys cost like six figures before you even start operating. So at some point we'll get there, but for now we'll, we're we're in our small niche, vertical integrated through processing, retail, and delivery.
0: What are what are the other like interesting conversations? Are you are you in Clubhouse?
1: I've been invited to it, and you, I've never used it. You haven't man. been okay.
0: So have you? Um... I hate Clubhouse. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because there's so many conversations around entrepreneurship and cannabis in there. What other conversations are you having with people that? people are finding important as far as like, when I say people, I mean entrepreneurs or people who are trying to get into the business. What are like the big issues that people are kind of combating and facing and trying to get over as you guys grow, you know, this area?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two things that come to mind. One here in Massachusetts, the local governments have a lot of power, Mm. like a lot. So they have the option to say if they do want cannabis commerce in their town, they have an option to say they do want it. And then when they do have it, they they have basically a 20% rule, meaning that like if they accept retail, then they can have the the minimum they can have is 20% of the number of liquor licenses in that municipality. Uh, So the city that we're in, they have 75 liquor stores. So that means that they can have 15, no less than 15% of 15. Uh, retailers, and actually my company was the last one to sign on with with the city, Uh, but aside from that, they basically have, um, what's it called, Uh, they can, the cities can tell you where they want uh, cannabis, so, you know, basically the different zoning, so whether it be business, whether it be commercial, whether it be industrial, Mm. uh, so that gives a lot of power to people who are in uh, the seats of basically running a town, like your city planner, city mayor, city manager, and it's very easy to say, okay, well, we want it in this business district, or we want it in this industrial district. Now let's see who owns these properties, right? Like, and and that's like a transfer of wealth because once you have yeah. a property that's zoned correctly, the Scott, you you're you, you know what I mean? Like, whether it be rent or whether it be you actually operating that business, you know, you just have a, a very viable business that's going to be there for for a long time. So I think. um, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge for social equity is navigating the real estate component of it. And then I would say after that is probably the politics is mixed in there because you got to know the planners, you got to know the ZBA, and then uh, capital is also, you know, part of it. I think a lot of people think that they need capital early before they get their license or to start the process. And uh, granted, you do need some capital, because some things are are sort of like an expense, you know, driving to different places, um you know maybe taking people out to lunch or whatever like networking and stuff but when it comes down to it you have to put money up for real estate that typically costs something Mm -hmm. so i think um yeah you don't need millions in the bank but if you have some savings like i did uh and you know some some credit cards then you can get started
0: (laughs) well i mean that that brings you oh go ahead
2: let's talk real numbers what is a number that people should have saved if they were to try to do what you're doing right now
1: yeah. Yeah. So in the Massachusetts market, it's probably going to be 50 000 to 150,000 to get started. And then you're going to need more to get through your build out and, and things like that.
2: How much is more?
1: Um. So our build out was 125 a square foot. Uh, I think it was 125 a square foot and we have 5,000 square feet. So it was, it was a half a million dollars, but it really depends though, because or a little over half a million dollars. Some people go all out and like do stupid shit, like put buses in their retail dispensary what? or spend a ton of money on millwork.
2: You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah.
1: Like one of the dudes that I know in my network, he's a great dude, really great dude. He ended up raising $25 million in the Canadian market. But before we started our build out, and the last, one of the last things he said to me before he walked out of here, he was like, we're on budget, everything's good. My investors are happy, our employees are good, whatever it may be. Like the one thing I probably would have done differently is start smaller you know mm-hmm. what i mean but i i think the the way that the regulations are written people think that they have to go big and crazy um which in some ways you do it's like you right? only have
0: one shot or something like that
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah basically basically well even like the security like the security measures we have to go through is very expensive so i will say that regulations do add a lot to those costs mm-hmm. to be honest with you.
0: yeah
2: I appreciate you answering that question. One of the things that I want for our podcast is for people to get real examples of like what they need to know. And in Americans don't talk about numbers. They don't talk real numbers often. So thank you for being candid with that and helping somebody out there get prepared. Like, oh, that's I reasonably need like five to six hundred thousand dollars to really get through the initial processes of being in business.
1: So yeah. Right. Thank you. Right. How did well, that's you- not considering cost of goods either. Right. <laughs> it's like- right. Yeah, which I just had some wholesalers here. I was like, "Bro, give me ninety day net term. Drop (laughs) off whatever you want. I'll pay you back, bro." (laughs) (laughs) How
0: How did you? I mean, you're talking about your five thousand square foot uh, warehouse, and you kind of walked walked us through there a little bit earlier. Um, How did you get that building? Like, and and that was vacant for twenty five years. And I'm I have a feeling that it wasn't as easy as probably you'd think it would be for a vacancy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I tell people who are in the equity program for sure is to look for vacant buildings, because mm-hmm. I feel like that was the blessing that got hit, that we got hit with. Mm-hmm. And part of it, too, was just being very local and intentional. Like I ended up finding this property when I was on my motorcycle. I knew that the building was zoned correctly and I live five minutes away. So I just ride by and I basically saw that um, there was some front facade work getting done and there was a for lease sign there. So I called the dude that day, hopped off my bike and was like, listen, my partner and I, we have experience, you know, getting through the licensing and permitting process. And I feel that um, this is a good opportunity, not only for you, but also for obviously our business. I know it's been vacant for X, Y, Z. So let's get through the permitting process and the licensing process. Now, because it's been vacant, he's only been paying property tax. He was never like pressed on us like paying something for it. it. And in fact, it was the reverse of it. He was actually the first investor outside of our group to invest in us because as a landlord, you have to have your building up to code to have tenants. And since it was vacant for 20 years, there was no plumbing, no electrical. So he had to do that all himself. And I was like, dude, don't do it yourself. Just give us a check and I'll bring in my team to do it. So that's kind of, that was the blessing is that it was vacant and just being very intentional about being local and like just, you know, being in the know really.
0: Yeah, I think I think doing your homework, due diligence, like all those things are going to play a factor in how much you can get for the money that you have, too. Right? Like I'm sure, like right. you said, if you went to a place that was a little bit more uppity, like it would have it would have cost you probably two or three times as much. Right.
1: Right down the block was a little bit a little yeah. bit uh on the gentrified road, like I visited a facility and was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And come to find out some out of state dudes, multi-state operators came in and they're paying like a crazy amount for their, for their, you know what I mean? For their rent. But they, they raised $12 million to get in this market. I just didn't have the luxury of like, you know what I mean? Mm It had to be a little bit more savvy with it. But I feel feel like
0: having that restriction of being more savvy is probably going to make the business more successful than someone who you know, thinks that they have money to throw around because one day you might have money to throw around and the next day it's like gone. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't know, you don't know when Mm -hmm. a pandemic's going (laughs) to hit.
1: You guys actually have to unlock the back door. I'm listening and I can answer questions. I'm just going to move. No worries. All right, cool. No worries. Sorry about that.
2: I lost it. You had a question too. It was there. It was was right there. It's okay. We can take it. Oh, I do have it. Okay. So, You've talked a lot about utilizing local resources, even things like knowing that the building was zoned properly. Mm. How did you discover those resources, like finding out how a building is properly zoned, knowing yeah. to talk to a city planner, the city manager, local senator, how did you even? How did you even begin to know who to talk to, how to find these resources?
1: That is, um, uh, it makes me smile when you ask that question because it gets very deep and I, without a doubt, have to shout out my business partner for sure. Because she's a lawyer she's and a lawyer, lawyer, yeah. lawyer, you know, her,
0: no, but it's, you're lucky to have a lawyer as a business partner. Oh, Lord. I
1: thought you said Lori. Yeah. But her, her name is Lori. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So no, but how, how we met, we were both on uh, a nonprofit board advisory board together and we had separate teams. And I basically had to court her. I had to like take her on dates and be like, listen, we should do this together. Like as black people, like let's team together and do this. So that's basically what it was. And uh, you know, if it wasn't for her, she's the better half. It's almost like a marriage, right? So like, um, yeah, just her lending the guidance and like, you know, we'll come up with a game plan. And I'm very much so the executor and like the person that like, like I said, like things come up, I get it done for sure. And she's like an organizer, like she, literally recite regulations and like studies them in her sleep so just having the confidence of like knowing certain compliance factors knowing bylaws knowing state regulations it just uh allows me to like focus on like business stuff and like getting shit done while she's like you know that's other side of things and it works it works well we work well together
2: is there a particular kind of law that she studies
1: Yeah. So she was a corporate attorney. She was a corporate attorney. She worked for a large firm in Boston here and she worked on, uh, uh, healthcare like applications. So like, you know, big, um, big pharmacies and their, uh, uh, like licensing applications and stuff like that. So she just had a lot of experience like going through licensing for, you know, for drugs basically. Mm -hmm.
0: No, I mean, I think, I think it's always hard to find that like ideal person who's going to be the partner that complements your skills. Um, right. so you guys, you guys definitely, I mean, feel like you got lucky. I mean, I, I think that's so much of entrepreneurship and building like a strong business is, is a, is a little, maybe a lot of luck of right. finding the right people to work with and knowing where to go. Like you have a certain set of skills that you like kind of bring to the table and she's got that other half. Um, I mean, I don't know, do you, do you guys, are you guys part of a network of people that, like, kind of collaborate? Because I think when, when we go, if we boil it down to the basics, if we're talking about building businesses as, like, social community and, like, in cannabis, whether it's outside of cannabis, whether it's, you know, minorities, whether, whoever it is, like, it's having the resources to know other people, like, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you guys network?
1: Yeah, yeah, so, um... (laughs) pre-pandemic cannabis events I think but even now I mean this is considered networking and it's certainly probably prob- probably like has uh sped things up with this whole zoom and this yeah. stuff I-, I feel like we've met a lot of people just doing this doing this so I think it's being open to um and then tell them this the story like I think that's one thing that I'm very uh like I I, I try to do a lot because I don't feel like uh, to be real, like any media outlet, any newspaper can tell the right story, and I, I don't think they have. Like any time that um, many cannabis companies, or if my cannabis company, or me or my business partner are in, like a news or whatever, and they take snippets, it's like it's not the full thing. So, like I go hard with like telling stories, whether it be on socials or or whatever, because no one's gonna tell the story better than the than the business itself. And I think that's the time that we're in now is that like. We're our own PR people, you know what I mean? We're yeah. our own marketing firm. We do all that. We don't have to, you know, rely on other mediums. You know, we create the narrative now. So I think being able to create that narrative will attract people. And um, you know, that's uh you know basically what I'm what I'm about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had something. I love
2: this interview. I'm yeah. so happy right now. Oh good. It's great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um <Thank> you, Elden. <laughs>
2: I really appreciate your, your very candid answers, and one of the things that that I think brings value in our podcast is being able to take these special little tidbits. Like, every time we hear someone talk about building a business in cannabis, it's always, we had to get money, 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 money. And you're like, well, yeah. no, we we needed a lawyer, we needed a this, a that. And you're bringing to the table knowledge that people aren't often talking about. Like, Oh, these are the other parts of the team that you need. These are the things that your teammates need to know. And this is the kind of planning and, and intentionality that goes into building this. Cause you can have the money all day, but if you don't know what to do with it, if you don't know how to steer the ship, it's going down, mm-hmm. it's, go- <laughs> it's going right. down. You're going to crash into a rock and that's it. Yeah. Wasted a bunch of money yeah. on a great ship. Bye-bye ship. Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, a lot of people need, they don't have the tools they need to build a business. This is like a start, it's like a startup. I mean, I, I think yeah. I, I can compare it pretty directly to like tech startups that we've worked mm-hmm. with too. It's like, you have to know where to hustle, how to hustle, what to hustle with, um, and have that motivation. So given that those kind of elements what what do you see the future of Major Bloom? Like, what do you see as what's coming next for you guys?
1: Mm, mm. Going home. Going home. And home is definitely tri-state, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, uh, California and West Coast is a different animal um, where that's the animal that I don't think the company wants to tackle. It's a bear. Uh, you're my business partner, yeah, it's a bear. So... <laughs> So it's one of those things where like, um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously New York turning re- relatively quickly and uh, New Jersey there, and I'm, I'm from Connecticut. They haven't flipped yet, but they're going to have to because the other states around them have been. And uh, so different markets for sure, but then also doing some work on a federal level. Uh, I just spoke with my business partner today and she had a dope, dope, dope uh, uh, conference yesterday with 420 um, lawyers, patent, patent lawyers. Uh, trade lawyers. So her and this uh, this other girl, who's very very dyna- dynamic, her name is Jessica Gonzalez. She's out in New Jersey. She's also a lawyer, and they've been working in the space for two three years at this point, maybe a little bit longer. And they did a talk with trademark uh, trademark uh, uh, attorneys that work for the federal government, mm-hmm. and they were basically uh, you know explaining to them what these different licenses meant and how that impacts trademark and intellectual property. So I think doing more work to, to, to work alongside the federal government um, to, to right these wrongs is definitely a path that, you know, Major Bloom wants to take for sure. Seeing that we're already like there, like there. <laughs> you know, so. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think that kind of goes back to your social impact mission and values and things like that. Like, what do you see as a brand? Um you're going to potentially, I guess, expand in the East coast, but like, wh- what do you see as like the brand, like, like legacy, I guess.
1: Mm. Ooh, or do yeah, you leg- do
0: you know what that is yet?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a leg. I know a lot about legacy. It's, 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 it's our target market, if yeah. you will. So when you say legacy, it makes me think about staying true to the culture. And like, you know, kind of what, what I mentioned to you before um, about like, you know, it just being family and friends yeah. and not doing what the rest of the industry does. So I think, you know, as it is well, considering what legacy means, it means, you know, basically just, ah, we wouldn't go after the big fish because it's nice and shiny. Right. right. I think it's more important to be very intentional about who, who we serve um, and, uh, you know, just constantly keeping that front of mind to make sure that we're tapped into who we want to serve. And, and that, that is a traditional legacy market. So people who probably are not shopping at dispensaries right now.
2: Right.
0: Right. Anything else that like you want to talk about that we haven't talked about that much. I'm on your website he's on your website.
1: <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah. 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 The website people say, Oh, your website's very intentional talking about intention. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we know who you're talking to. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> we do too. It's not soccer moms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Wellness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so nah. I mean, yeah. Anything else? I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, I agree. I, I love this interview. This is great. I think, the sound quality really made me like feel like this was official. The <laughs> microphones you guys got, I'm like, holy oh, shit, dude, this is this is real shit. It's
0: official. It's definitely yeah. official. I think mm-hmm. everything's moving in a more official direction. I think too, just like industry wide. Like, there's a lot of stu- there's a lot of interesting little things going on in lots of different corners of it. Um, right. And so I'm excited to see more of what's unfolding because we're we're getting involved in a lot of different places. So.
1: That's dope. What's
0: That's up? Dope. Sheldon has something on his mind. I
2: do. I always do. Okay. <laughs> so, this is this is now heading into a very niche conversation, sure, sure, but sure. I just, I want to ask this. Cool. As black men, we often get pigeonholed into talking about social equity conversations and just like the race-related component of this, and yeah. it's important, and thank you for speaking on it. No, no shade to that at all but is there anything that you wish you got the opportunity to talk about more often or just a tidbit about you where you're like, Hey, I got the stage. I want to tell this about me, my life, my business. And it doesn't have to do with the usual suspect conversations.
1: Mm. Well, one thing I think and we alluded to this a little bit is the, the pandering that goes on with certain media uh, outlets. Um, Cause I feel like cannabis is one of those things that you can like, put puns on things, you know what i mean, and have it be very gimmicky. So i just despise that and sometimes i don't necessarily call it out and i might hold it in when i read certain articles about certain things but like that shit pisses me off. And it's not one entity, it's just all of it's all i don't want to say all of them but like some of them and you have to understand that like a lot of these journalists again, they don't come from, you know, certain backgrounds, you know what i mean? They right. have this this view of like hey my boss is asking me to do this assignment Mm -hmm. and like tell it shows in their work by you know not being um really tapped into what's going on just telling a very fluffy story so i think that's one thing that like i don't know i I write about it in my blogs and how and when when i said before why i go so hard with putting out our own narrative because i feel like a lot of news media like i i despise the pr front like the the excuse me and i say this because we're about to open soon but like there's a whole media room you do when you open right, right like a right. grand opening ribbon cutting and all that like i don't want to do that you know what i mean so we're probably gonna do it we're probably gonna do it like, <laughs> we're probably know, gonna do
0: it actually yeah
1: but let, it, let it be like two three weeks after like the people who have seen you know us from the ground up in this neighborhood and my yeah. family and friends who have been encouraging let them experience that first rather than like you know what i mean like the news well, out, I, I think out.
0: I think you don't want to diminish – you don't want to diminish what it really is by adding fluff, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. – I, I, keeping it real is, like, I think that's the name of the game. And, and I think it's hard because the industry has been, one, hidden for a really long time, but then also now people want to, like – you know, what is it, bandwagon? They mm-hmm. want to get on the bandwagon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, you're going to get a lot of that fluff, but – you know, hopefully at some point someone will they'll just start talking about the real issues, challenges, how to solve right. problems. I think I think that's like, yeah. you know, where the real meat is at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right.
1: That's a great question. Though, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking media, dude. <laughs> 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 oh. um, I'm
2: going to I can I, I can go. I'm I'm. I'm at that point in the day where I'm just like, I just want to talk. It's fun. So, do um, we need to wrap? Yeah, I mean, we can, we, we can. Yeah. Talking.
0: Well, I mean, thank you. I mean, it's Friday night, uh, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm I'm sure Ulysses yep. wants to like yep. work yep. on his proposal that he needs to get in by Monday. Yes. So. Yes. And
1: eat some Jamaican food from the spot across the street, oh. <laughs>
0: and have some dinner.
2: I need some patties and oxtail. Let's
1: go. Oxtails and some patties. Yo, they, don't salt make, fish. they don't make Jamaican patties yet. I'm trying to talk them into making patties, bro. Oh, they need <laughs> yeah. to. It's a new business though. that just opened up not too long ago, so we're we're, we're working together on that. Well, and sure.
0: and it sounds like you're you can probably convince them. I have a feeling. Yeah. I have a feeling you can sway them into the patty direction.
2: <laughs> working on Working on it. We're working on it. Thank you so
0: much for your time today. Um, I think all of these conversations are great. So um, we're happy to have you on. Thank you. And then next time when you guys have your next thing, because I feel like you're going to have some news in the future, we definitely have to bring you back and, and talk about what other things we need to know and tell people.
1: Let's get it. At that point, we'll probably have our, our podcast. Set up. Hopefully like in the next six months, six to eight months here. Perfect. Hey. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I'll be in a professional setting like you. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. We want to see, we want to check out the studio. Oh
1: yeah. All you right. guys have been great. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Man.
0: Thank you. And have a great, great weekend. And, um, we'll talk to you again soon. Oh.
1: All right. Thanks. Man.
0: The green room podcast is brought to life by green seed PR, a cannabis green tech focused PR agency, and a dedicated production team of editors, mixers, and showbookers. A huge thank you to the Vessel team for providing their studio for our recordings. Don't forget to subscribe and share the Green Room podcast with friends, colleagues, and family. That way you'll never miss an episode and we can keep the lights on. If you're feeling extra generous, Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can also find us on Instagram at GreenSeedPR and to the live video versions of all of our podcasts on YouTube. Would you like to be on the guest on the show or do you have a great guest referral? Awesome. Submit your guests at greenseedpr.com slash the hyphen green hyphen room. Thanks for listening and be well.